Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I have the privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast. And today we're bringing you the second in a series of episodes that are the keynote addresses from our advanced conference in October of 2023. The advanced conference, Converge Northeast puts on this gathering, two days of just incredible encouragement and equipping. And let me just tell you, this year was a landmark year for us. And I am so privileged to bring you someone who means a lot to Converge broadly, nationally. He's actually our national president of ministries. He's also the pastor of First Baptist Church at Glen Arden uh, in Maryland. And uh, Pastor and Dr. John Jenkins is someone who you cannot help but be encouraged by spending time around this person. Uh, not only does he lead a incredibly large ministry, but one of the things I love about Pastor Jenkins is I've met so many pastors who he has been just a key voice and in many situations, a key mentor too. And so I am really excited and thankful for his leadership of Converge. Uh, he just brings a great voice to that. You get to hear his heart uh, as he just speaks uh, a message. I've actually heard him do this address a couple of times and each time it has encouraged me and I know it will encourage you. So without any further ado, here is Pastor John Jenkins, president of Converge at our advanced conference 2023. Good morning. I have the uh, distinct honor of introducing our president. Um, I think every generation, God uses relatively few people to advance the trajectory of his kingdom's work on earth. And one of those people of our generation is our president, Dr. John Jenkins. He's married to the greatest woman in the world, next to my wife. <laughs> They've been married for 43 years, but you can Google that. Um, he pastors one of the greatest churches um, in the world, and you can Google that. The work that the church does under his leadership is unbelievable, but you can Google that. He has six children, all of them successful in their own right, but you can Google that. I wanna introduce to you someone that you can only know by experiencing him. 28 years ago, I walked into First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. Um, when I got there, I was done with church. I only went to church because, to be honest, every Sunday, my wife, we've been married at that point for two years, was getting dressed and going to church. And this one particular Sunday, she put on my favorite dress, and so I just got up, got in the shower, and started getting dressed. She thought I was going to hang out with my friends. She said, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to church with you. And then I said to her, now don't try to call nobody. Y'all will catch that in the morning. I said, we're going to church together. And she was shocked because I was done with church. I walked into First Baptist Church of Glen Arden, and this same man, Pastor Jenkins, was preaching a message. There was no more room in the sanctuary. So we had at that time like 55 overflow rooms. I am not exaggerating. We had so many overflow rooms, it was bursting at the seams. It just so happened that two deacons who sat on the front row next to the piano on the right-hand side had given up their seat. And my wife and I were the next ones in line. Keep in mind, I'm only going 
because she got dressed. I'm done with church and I'm certainly done with God. Sitting on that front row, I heard a man I'd never seen before. I can't tell you what he preached, but I can tell you what he said and how it made me feel. He said, I sin every day and the same God who forgives me will forgive you of anything you've done. I was shocked to hear a man in front of all these people without shame, with tears in his eyes, making an appeal for people to come to Jesus. That Sunday I was done with church, done with God, but God used this man to make an appeal and witness life to me. And here now, 20 years later, I pastor a successful, thriving church where we baptize people every three months and people come to Jesus every Sunday. Someone who was done with church and done with God. Here's what I can tell you about our president. I've traveled with him, I've worked with him, and I've worked for him. <laughs> I've worked for him. And here's what I can tell you. At his core, he loves God. He loves people. And he believes that God loves people so much that he wants to save them from their sins and that God uses the local church to give that message. He is an amazing man, and I pray that you receive him as God's voice for this moment for us, because that's what he is. Would you receive with me our president, Pastor John K. Jenkins. Good morning, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Good morning. Thank you, Tyrone. You said it exactly the way I wrote it all out. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm so proud of him and the work he's doing. And I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Let me start by acknowledging the, the pastor of this church and thank Pastor Mark for opening up the doors of this church to allow us to be. Thank you, Pastor. We celebrate... Uh, Tim Ponzani, I'm honored to be able to work with your regional president. He uh, works with us in the international office, and I love him and appreciate him. He's actually a phenomenal guy. I don't know if y'all know this. Y'all know y'all got a phenomenal person. He's a great leader. He's a great uh, uh, executive regional president. He's in a, he helps me in the national office, and I love him. And I wouldn't want this job that I have as a president without him by my side. So I want to thank him for having me. Thank you for having me. So. And y'all know he couldn't be who he is if it wasn't for his wife, Sharon, who sits by his side. Amen. So I celebrate her. I have my wife of 43 years here with me here today. Help me celebrate. Stand up, baby. Stand up. Stand up so everybody can see how pretty my wife is. So we've been married for 43 years and uh, six kids. We got seven grandkids. I, listen, grandkids make life worth living. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any grandparents in here? One, two, three. Okay, yeah, y'all know what it is. You know, the joy of having grandkids is that they go home. Come on, praise the Lord, somebody. 
You get them for the joy of a few moments and they go home. And so we thank God for that. I, uh, I'm grateful for my wife and uh, the significant role she has uh, played in my life. I married up. I don't know how many guys know you married up. Y'all better raise your hand if your wife is here with you. Uh, I, one day we were driving. I tell this story all over. Uh, and we went to a 7-Eleven. Do y'all have 7-Elevens up here? Okay, so like a convenience store. And in front of the 7-Eleven was one of her old flames. And he was drunk, high. Something was wrong with him. He was just crazy. And... Um, I thought to myself, she, she dated that guy. She almost married him. Then I thought about the fact that she married, she married me. And I looked at all those things we've done. We've traveled the world. I've preached to presidents, governors, congressional people, professional athletes, built a significant church, First Baptist Church of Glen Arts, probably one. It is the largest church in the state of Maryland. And um, I started patting myself on the back. And I said to her, aren't you glad you married me instead of that joker right there? She said, this one right here said, if I had married him, he would be the pastor <laughs> at a first practice church. Do not encourage that foolishness. Ridiculous, and y'all give an amen to that foolishness. <laughs> I'm so honored to be the president of Converge. I've uh, been a part of Converge for 25 years, and I tell people why I joined an African American, a large church who didn't need Converge. I didn't need, to, I, I needed nothing from Converge when I joined it 25 years ago. But let me tell you the three reasons why I joined Converge. I joined Converge, number one, because I found it to be an organization that, like, different from most organizations that I had belonged to prior, and that difference was it focused on empowering the local church and helping the local church succeed versus most organizations I had been a part of, their focus was uh, how the local church could empower the national organization. And I love that about it. That's number one. Number two, I joined them because they were an organization that focused on church planting. Converge is major on strengthening churches and planting churches all over the country. Thirdly, I joined it because the church I pastor is a primarily African-American church. Why would I join a primarily Anglo church? Here's why. Many of the people in my church lived through the civil rights era. They had the dogs and the water hoses and denied jobs, and they didn't think very favorably of Anglo people. But I had met some Anglo people as a part of Converge, uh, that were members of Converge, long before I joined it. I interacted and met and had relationships with them, and I learned that there were some Anglo people, many Anglo people, that loved and embraced and accepted people of color. And over the 25 years that I've been a part of this movement, it has remained to be true that Converge is a movement of people who accept people regardless of the color of their skin. And I thank God for that. So uh, I, I did not make a mistake by being a part of it, and I'm proud to be a part of Converge, and I'm proud of you all who are parts of Converge. And those who aren't, I want to encourage you this is a good this here is a good movement for you to be a part of. <laughs>
All right. They gave me 30 minutes to preach, so I better get going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share with the people of God. I pray that you take these next few moments and breathe upon us in a supernatural way and allow your truth to prevail and your name to be exalted. I thank you for your loving kindness. Let us be your instrument in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you from a subject today. Uh, my subject is the most critical yet neglected message of the church. Let me give it to you again. The most critical yet neglected message of the church. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. If you have your, your paper Bible, which most of y'all probably don't have, or you have an iPhone, iPad, or any I want to be device. Y'all supposed to say amen to that. <laughs> Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to start at verse 13. Just hang with me as I walk through these verses. Acts 13, 13 says, I'm reading from the authorized, anointed New King James translation. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Pampas, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul, verse 16, stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Are y'all with me? Do y'all see that? And then for the next 25 verses, Paul preaches a sermon. You know, we used to invite guests to say something, tell us your name, what church you come from, when we would be in church. We don't do it no more because you never know what people are going to say. Paul preached for 25 minutes, 25 verses, I'm sorry. I don't know how long it took, but he, pre he preached a sermon. He preached a message. And a most amazing thing happened when he finished. Slide down to verse number 42. Verse 42 says, and this is, matter of fact, an amazing, remarkable, unbelievable, shocking, I can use, if I can use that word, shocking thing. It says this, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. That's remarkable. And I've been preaching. Listen, y'all, I've been preaching for 50 years. I'm 65. I turned 65 on Wednesday. Go ahead, look at your neighbor. I know what you want to say. He looks so young. Go ahead, tell him. <laughs> I've been preaching for 50 years. I started at 15. Very rarely has anybody asked me to preach the same sermon again. <laughs> and they said, matter of fact, they didn't just ask him. The scripture says the Gentiles begged, pleaded, beseeched him. Can you preach the same message to us again next Sabbath? That's a remarkable thing to ask him to preach the same sermon again. But yet that's what they did. What did this man say? 
Hold up. That's not the only thing that happened. Look at verse 44. Slide down to verse 44. I'm halfway through my sermon. I'm almost done. On the next Sabbath, verse 44, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Oh, my God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city came. Almost everybody. That's how we say it in the hood, everybody. Almost the whole city came. Everybody, it was the talk of the town. And I thought I ought to talk about it because what Paul said is something that we're not saying in our churches today. I've gone to a lot of churches. I've been to a lot of places. I've heard a lot of sermons. But I'm not hearing this message preached very frequently or very often. I hear it every now and then, but not as much as it needs to be said. And I am on a campaign. When I became the president of of, uh, Converge, uh, September the 1st, 2022, just finished one year. Amen. Amen. I'm on a campaign to revitalize, reinitiate, refocus our movement of churches on proclaiming this message. It's, it's, it's my mandate. It's what God has called me to do. It's what I feel the, the mantle of God has put on me is to say to you, is to say what it is that Paul said. I'm trying to build up until y'all get to the point point. say, will you please tell us what the man said? You know, you got to build it up so y'all, I want you on the edge of your seat to say, please tell us what he said. I want to tell you what he said. I'm going to tell you. Soon as I feel like you're ready to hear what I got to say. <laughs> he, he preached a message that changed. It is, we are good at making people good Republicans. We make them good Democrats. We tell them what they can do and what they can't do, but we're not preaching the message that we ought to preach. As a matter of fact, I've learned this message and I've preached it. And for the, I've been the pastor of our church for 34 years. I'm pastoring my home church. I'm pastoring people who once taught me in Sunday school. When I was a kid, Deacon Walton used to tell me in Sunday school class, sit down, John Jenkins. Now that I'm the pastor, I say, sit down, Deacon Walton. (laughs) It's a psychological thing. You may not understand it. He's already sitting down, but I feel good just telling him to sit down. In the 34 years since I've been the pastor and I've learned this, I learned this message early in my ministry that I practiced it. And in 34 years, I cannot remember a Sunday where nobody came to Jesus. In 34 years, every Sunday, every Sunday, somebody comes forth because I learned what Paul said. Do y'all want to know what he said? (laughs) I'm waiting for somebody to say, please tell us what he said. I'm waiting. I'm just wanting y'all to get hungry for it. Because if you learn it and do it, it'll make all the difference in the world. We become good at telling people what they can do, what they can't do, what's wrong, what's right. We're good at telling them what time service begins, where you can sit, where you can't sit, what this, this and that, where you can park, where you can't park. We're great at all of that. But we're not great at telling them what it is Paul said. What did he say? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) If you slide back to verse number 38. Let me tell you what he said. It's it's no secret thing. It's, It's known. It says, therefore, verse 38. Therefore, verse 38. 
let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you, here it is, the forgiveness of sins. That's the message that we're not proclaiming, that you can be forgiven of your sins. We're telling them about what sins they can't do. We're good at telling them about how they ought to change, but we don't tell them that there is a balm in Gilead. We're not telling them that there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners who plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilt and stain. We don't tell them that no matter what they've done, where they've been, how often they did it, how frequently they did it, how recently they did it, we don't tell them they can be forgiven. And yet every Sunday, I don't care what I'm preaching. I don't care what the message is. I don't care what I'm trying to tell them to do, what instructions I'm trying to get them. When I get to the end of the message, every Sunday I say to them, you can be forgiven. You may have violated everything that I've said. You may have avoided everything that I've been preaching. You may have never done it in your life. But what I tell them every Sunday at the end of the message, if you have fallen and failed, you can be forgiven. It's not being preached. Matter of fact, Tyrone almost, he said that he heard me preach that. You, 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 you revealed my secret in your instructions. <laughs> you didn't know, I didn't tell you. But it changed your life. It transformed you. It let you know. And, and I know, you see, y'all, y'all sitting here looking all righteous like y'all ain't never done nothing wrong. Y'all looking all good. Go ahead, keep on looking righteous. Keep on looking like you got it all together. I understand. Keep pretending like you've never done wrong. But here's what I think I know about every person in here. Here's what I know when I stand up in front of the congregation that I pastor every Sunday. Here's what I know when I stand up. That I know that everybody in there, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their economic status, regardless of their uh, uh, educational achievements, regardless of what community they live in, what kind of car they drive, what kind of house they live in, here's what I know. They've done something that has violated the standards of God and they know they need forgiveness. Now I can look at y'all and see that some of y'all got some skeletons in your closets. Some of y'all got some fresh bodies that you drug up in there. <laughs> but there is a bomb in Gilead. As a matter of fact, you can be forgiven of your sin. Forgiveness of sins, what does it mean? It means two things. It means to be pardoned. It means that it's not that you didn't do it, but here's what God did. He has made provisions for you to be pardoned. That's what forgiveness means, to have your debt canceled out. It means to be able to have your sins sent away. Isn't that great news that God will send your sins away? You're guilty. You've missed the mark of God's standard. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has made provisions for you to be forgiven. He has made uh, provisions for you to be pardoned. And he's not, forgiveness not only means to be pardoned, it also means to have freedom, to get free from the bondage of the shame and the guilt of your past. And I don't know how y'all feel about it, but I'm so thankful that even though I sin and I've been in this thing a long time and, and, and I know church people, I know church people act like they don't sin no more. Yes, you do. <laughs> but I have the great news and the great message and the great promise from God that he's already fulfilled that we've been forgiven. Look at your neighbor and say, you're nasty, but you've been forgiven. 
Go ahead, go ahead. I don't care how, where you come from. We need forgiveness. Everybody needs forgiveness. Adam needed forgiveness. Eve needed forgiveness. Moses needed forgiveness. Saul and king of Israel and David who killed Uriah. And I can go on down. Peter and Saul of Tarsus. I can go on and say that we all need the freedom that God makes available to us and the pardon that he gives us. Now, now, I want to say to you that not only do I encourage pastors to make that a theme every week. Matter of fact, we, we, we've initiated a new uh, program of training to help churches and pastors build a culture of evangelism and discipleship in your church. It's a new program. We've, we've started to train some pastors. And pastors, you're going to hear about this because you've got to be a pastor to enter into this program so we can train you how to develop a culture of evangelism. At our church, we have a culture. You know why we have people coming every Sunday to get saved at our church? Because we've trained our people how to share the gospel. We have 129 ministries in our church. You cannot be a ministry leader if you don't know how to share the gospel. We use Romans Road in our church, and you have to be able to teach and lead somebody to the Lord. I, I told this that we have 400 employees at our church, and I told when a person first get hired in the church, within six months of them become, coming on staff, they have to know how to share the gospel. They got six months to take the class, get the training, and be certified as an altar counselor at our church. And you know what they do? They're bringing their friends. They're getting their coworkers and relatives and friends and acquaintances and neighbors. They're getting them saved. That's why our church has grown. Our church has a culture of evangelism and a culture of, of discipleship. And we just recently hired Jonathan Dahl. He's here. Stand up, Jonathan Dahl. I want y'all to know Jonathan Dahl. When y'all see him coming, don't run. Get a hold of Jonathan. This is the culture of our, our what we're seeking to make, the culture of our movement is a culture of evangelism. And I want to encourage you and challenge you. This is the mandate. I've been preaching this message all over. I'm Every time, if you invite me to come, this is the message I'm preaching right here. This is the message. I done preached it 10 times already because I'm trying to change the culture of our churches of stop making people good church members. We want to make them good disciples of the King of Kings and the Lord. Thank all 15 of y'all for that rousing affirmation. I wish I could stop right there, but I still got 16 minutes and I got one more thing I need to tell you. He not only preached to them the forgiveness of sins, he said something else to them. Look at verse number 39. Verse 39 says, and I'm almost finished. No, I'm not. Here's verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Oh, that's, do you understand how powerful that is? By him, by him, who is him? Jesus, by him, that's what he's talking about. By him, everyone who believes, who puts their faith and belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, everyone who believes is justified. Justification, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked the question. 
Justification means this. I used to teach and I used to believe that justification means that God treats you just as if you never sinned. But I've learned through looking and studying the etymology of the Greek word that it's a little more deeper than that. Justification means this. It means that God makes you holy. I know that would go over your head, but that's a deep thing. That's a major thing that God would take you and make you holy. It kind of blew my mind when, when I learned this, when I got challenged by this. I had to ask my Greek instructors in my the, theology class, is this, is this true? That God could take somebody who's mean and nasty and distasteful and, and inconsistent as I am and make me holy. That's how awesome the God is that we serve. As jacked up as you are, and y'all know we are some jacked up jokers, that we serve a God who can take us in our messed up condition and move us from our condition of where we are and make us holy. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't look holy. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't look holy. You look anything but holy. But thanks be to God that the God we serve can put you in the right status and move you from where you are to a place where he makes us holy. Isn't that great news? Anybody glad about that other than me? He justified me. He justified me. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. It's, I didn't get it by virtue of anything I've done. I didn't get it because I'm, I'm not in this status because I dotted the I, that I crossed that T, or that because I kept the commandments. Oh, I can't keep the 612 or 13 laws. I can't keep them. But thanks be to God, if I just put my faith in what Jesus did for me on the cross, the power of the gospel will take you from whatever jacked up position you're in and make you a holy person. He forgives you, washes you, cleanses you and then he makes you holy go ahead and look at your neighbor and say I might not look like it but I'm holy I might not look like it but I'm holy baby I'm holy I'm holy I'm holy I don't deserve it but I'm, I'm holy I know I don't look like it but I'm a holy person somebody give I can shout and praise and give him the glory that he made me holy I don't deserve it but I'm holy that's what it says right here in the text. For everyone who believes, he justifies. And that's great news. And I'm excited about it. And so I close and bring this message to an end, to a conclusion. Thank you. Here's my first close. <laughs> Which y'all got to know about black people that we have several closings. <laughs> This is my first one. That I'm deeply thankful to serve a God who loves me and you enough that regardless of what we've done, where we've been, how frequently we did it, how recently we did it, we serve a God who forgives us and justifies us. And you might be here today. There might be somebody here today that don't know, don't know Jesus. My message to you today is you can be forgiven and justified 
No sacrifices you have to give, no indulgences, no more works, no more religious activities. You don't get it by singing in the choir. You don't have to be an Ursher. Ursher, did y'all get that? Ursher. You don't have to be a deacon, a deaconess, or a trustee. You don't have to pay your tithes to get saved, to be holy. It's a good thing to do now, don't get me wrong. It's not by baptism. It's not by anything you do. You get it by simply putting your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. He died on the cross, was buried, and did something that nobody else has done. He conquered death. And from the depths of my heart, I'm thankful that we serve a God that does that. This, my brothers and sisters, is the most critical yet neglected message of the church. Let me say one more thing. When you witness to your friends and talk to your friends about the God that you serve, that you believe in, don't talk to them about what they can't do no more. Don't tell them about their sins that they can't, they have to stop. No, 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 no. Tell them that no matter what they've done, they can be forgiven and justified. Amen. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you to be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and feel free to send us a message. It's an easy way to connect. You can also send me an email directly at andy at convergenortheast.org. That's andy at convergenortheast.org. Let us know what resonates with you as well as any ideas or suggestions for topics or interviews for future episodes. We appreciate it when you follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and know that a positive review is a simple way that you can help more people discover the evergreen way. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.